you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is a special Christmas edition of my podcast. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. Our theme is why God chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father. Many things about Joseph, like how and when he died, or whether he was quiet or outgoing, or what he looked like, are mysteries, and we will never know those for sure. But perhaps the scriptures de-emphasize him to keep the focus on the deity of Christ. However, in Matthew 1, we can glean some really important details about this man that make it very clear that he was special and there was ample reason for God to choose him for this important role of mentoring the actual Son of God. So we will begin at verse 18 of Matthew 1, although we will go back later to the genealogy that precedes it. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now you recall that typically a Jewish marriage of that day would include an engagement period that was one year in length, and during that time the man would build a home for the couple to live in, but they were considered legally married They weren't living together, they weren't sleeping together, but to break that covenant at that point would have required an actual divorce. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, and he's getting ready to quote Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So we can divide the answer to the question, why would God have chosen Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father, into three main parts. We can focus on his clan or his heritage, his character or who he really was on the inside, and then his career or how he made his living. So let's begin with his clan, and we'll stay in Matthew 1, but go back to the beginning of the chapter, not to read the entire thing, But starting with verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then you go on down and get to verse 15, Mathan the father of Jacob and Jacob the father of Joseph 
the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So we have here, first of all, that he is descended from Adam, as we all are, even though Adam is not specifically mentioned in this genealogy, he's mentioned in the one in Luke. It is implicit, of course, because we have other genealogies that list the descendants of Adam down to Abraham. So the fact that he came from Adam, Joseph, as Jesus' earthly father, means that he was fully human. And Jesus needed to be mentored in being a human being. Here we have God incarnate, God made flesh. And as each one of us have to be shown how to live as a human being in this world, so Joseph needed to show Jesus how it is to be fully human. You know, the expression, the Son of Man, occurs 81 times in the Greek text of the four canonical Gospels. That would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's used only in the sayings of Jesus. But he refers to himself as the Son of Man, emphasizing the fact that he was fully human. You know, going over to Luke for a moment, chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus said about himself. He didn't say the Son of God is come to seek and to save the lost, but the Son of Man, because he wanted people to know that he identified with them. Another thing about the clan of Joseph that makes him suitable to be the earthly father of Jesus is, of course, that he was a descendant of Abraham as all of the Jews were, except for the ones that were converted to Judaism from other races. But we read in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so we see that even in Genesis 12, God was telling Abraham, you're going to be the progenitor of the Messiah. I'm going to use you to be a blessing to every single person on earth. And then also, from Abraham came Isaac, and then Isaac uh, was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of the 12 sons that became the heads of the tribes. And so, what we also just read in that Matthew genealogy is that Joseph was descended from the tribe of Judah. So Judah was the one from whom the king would come. The father Jacob of those 12 sons that became the heads of the 12 tribes prophesied over his sons as they were around him when he was on his deathbed in Egypt, in Genesis 49, 8-10, he has a message for Judah. Jacob said to Judah in Genesis 49, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. 
Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come. Are you catching this? He's now referring to the Messiah. That would be Jesus until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So this was hundreds of years before Israel actually became a monarchy. And yet we see that it did come to pass that way. The first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin, that was Saul. But when he disobeyed and God rejected him, then God raised up David, and David was from this tribe of Judah. And that is the person from whom Joseph was descended. So he had this royal lineage. And at the time, you know, Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire, and they didn't have their own sovereign king. And yet, they still had this line from Judah, and specifically from David. We read in Revelation 5.5 a prophecy about Jesus. And one of the elders said to me, this is John looking at what was going on in heaven, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And finally, Joseph's clan included that he was a descendant directly, not just of the tribe of Judah, but of David in particular, who was the second king of Israel. And we see a promise that God made to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. God said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So you can see how this comes true through Christ. And Christ is the legal son of Joseph who was descended from David because Israel doesn't have a king right now. But In a sense, they always have had a king, God himself, who was incarnate through Christ. And so we can see that God's word always comes to pass. So to recap the features of Joseph's clan, we see that he was a human being because he descended from Adam. He was an Israelite because he descended from Abraham. He was from the ruling tribe because he was a descendant of Judah, and he was in the kingly line because he was a descendant of David in particular. And so, legally, Jesus was those things too. The second of the three reasons why God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of Jesus was his character. So we go back to the passage we read earlier in Matthew 1.19, It said, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He must have been devastated when he found out she was pregnant and when she had this story about how she was really a virgin and God had spoken to her and said she would bear the Messiah, but he wanted to spare her. 
He wasn't just punitive and angry. And the law <clears throat> would have established that he could have had her stoned if he wanted to. So he didn't want to be married to someone who wasn't faithful to him. But at the same time, he didn't want to see her stoned. We see both righteousness and mercy there. And both of those are features of God Almighty. Beautiful. And of course, Jesus would also be righteous and merciful. We also see that he was a man of faith because all it took was a dream in which the angel Gabriel spoke to him and said, go ahead and don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And he was up and willing to do this. He was willing to completely change his plans and marry her. Not only was he a man of faith, but he was a man of obedience, and those two go together. You can't really have faith unless you have the actions that back up faith. And so once Joseph believed that Mary was really to be the mother of the Messiah, he actually went and married her and took her with him to Bethlehem when he had to enroll. And then later, you will recall, when Herod wanted to kill all the children under the age of two in Bethlehem so that he could find this supposed king that had been born, according to the wise men, that the Lord directed Joseph then to take Mary and Jesus and go and live in Egypt until he received word that it was safe. And so there again, because he was a man of great character and he was obedient, he went and did that. And it was quite some time before the little boy Jesus and his mother and his earthly father Joseph came back. So to recap, Joseph's character modeled four very important virtues that he could also mentor Jesus in, righteousness and mercy and faith and obedience. Then the third of the three reasons why Joseph was chosen to be the earthly father of Jesus after his clan and his character was his career. We know that Joseph was a carpenter because Matthew 13, 55 says, is not this the carpenter's son when it's talking about Jesus? And we also know in Mark 6, 3 that it says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? So apparently by the time that occurred, since he's being referred to as the son of Mary, Joseph had already passed away. That seems to be the implication. But if we were guessing what the career would have been for the earthly father of Jesus, we might have guessed a shepherd like David or Moses. We might have guessed that he would be brought up as a prince as Moses was or that maybe he would have been in the priestly line since he's going to be our high priest since he goes to God on our behalf, or since he was going to be fishing for men and he had fishers as his disciples, maybe he would have been a fisherman. Why, though, a carpenter? One thing about carpenters is that they see what pieces of wood can be not just what they are. And in the same way, Jesus learned to see potential in people. 
you might imagine a carpenter seeing a piece of driftwood on a, on a shore at a beach or something. Or you might imagine that a carpenter is looking at a tree growing in a forest and he can picture how beautiful it would be if it was turned into a chair or a coffee table or something when the average person might not have any way of visualizing that at all. I'm thinking of James and John. In Luke 9, 51 through 5, Jesus saw James and John be so hot-headed that they wanted to call fire and brimstone down on some people that had refused to spend time with Jesus. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then he and his disciples went to another village. James and John became wonderful apostles after the death of Christ, and the Lord was well aware of what they could be. He saw their potential, and perhaps that had everything to do with his upbringing as a carpenter, seeing the potential of the pieces of wood that he was going to shape and work on. We see the same thing with Peter. You know that Peter rejected Jesus by denying him three times when the heat was on right before the crucifixion. Luke 22, 56 through 60, Then a servant girl, seeing him, that's Peter, as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Why would Jesus have spent so much time with Peter if he was just going to deny him? Because he knew what he was capable of becoming after the day of Pentecost, when he was filled with the Spirit, when he was bold, and after he had repented of that denial. We also see his patience with Thomas in John 20, when Thomas didn't believe that Jesus had really risen from the dead. He said to him in verse 27, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas was an effective witness for Jesus after that. Uh, some traditions say that he evangelized the land of India after Jesus went back into heaven. Of course, there was Mary Magdalene, who was possessed by seven demons. She later became a wonderful person of great faith who influenced many because Jesus saw the potential and not just what she was at the time. The demoniac of the Gadarenes, or the Gerasenes, in Mark chapter 5, was another great example of someone who completely turned around. You remember this man cut himself. He lived in the tombs. Chains couldn't hold him. He was naked. He would cry out. 
And after the Lord delivered him from the demons and the demons ran into the herd of pigs and the pigs went off the cliff, this man was spotted, clothed and in his right mind. And when he wanted to go with Jesus and be his follower, Jesus told him to go and tell others what great things he had seen. But the second thing about Jesus' career as a carpenter, which is a reflection on Joseph's career as a carpenter after seeing potential, is that a carpenter works hands-on. We also see many instances where Jesus, after having worked hands-on with wood, worked hands-on with people. In Mark 10, he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. He wasn't a stiff-armed touch-me-not who was too good to spend time with children, but he was kind to them. And then in Mark 5, verses 40 to 43, he came to the home of a couple that had lost their 12-year-old daughter, and it says, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. So here was Jesus, this Jew, who had been well-schooled in the law and knew that you weren't supposed to touch a dead body, and he took her by the hand. Why didn't he just speak to her and say, little girl, I say to you, get up? Because he worked hands-on, and that comes from being a carpenter, and that was something that Joseph Shirley taught him. You can't do carpentry without touching the material that you're working with. And it was the same with Jesus. In John 9, he came to a man who was blind from birth. You remember that the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Then you get down to verse 6, and it says that he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes and then told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now that's pretty hands-on. That sounds to me like a craftsman. That sounds to me like someone who spent years shaping things with his hands. We also see in Matthew 8, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Well, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. The law said not to touch lepers. They're unclean. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean when he touched the unclean leper, it was just the opposite. The unclean leper was made clean by Jesus being hands-on. Jesus said to him, be clean, and immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So we see all of these instances of his training as a carpenter, apparently, paying off in ministry as he was willing to touch people. And that had to come from being mentored by Joseph who worked hands-on. So he saw potential and he worked hands-on. But Joseph also, as a carpenter, would have to have had patience. And Jesus also would have been schooled to be very patient. 
You can't get big woodworking projects done the old-fashioned way in one day, or even in one week, or even in one month in many cases. And so we see that this translated to Jesus working with people. In Matthew 17, 17, a man who had a demon-possessed son brought him to the disciples, and the disciples could not cast out the demon. So the man brought his son to Jesus, and Jesus said, How long shall I be with you? In Mark 6, he couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because the people didn't believe that he was anything special because he had grown up there and they were used to the boy Jesus. And it says he marveled because of their unbelief, but he was still patient with them. In Luke 13, 34, he said to the people, How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen does gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. Sadness because he couldn't always do what he would like to do. It was frustrating, and he had to be patient. So Joseph, as a carpenter, mentored Jesus to see potential, work with his hands on, and develop patience. Then finally, to create something that was both beautiful and useful, which is exactly what the Lord does with each of us as we grow in our faith over the years after we come to Christ. You know, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't it great to know that the carpenter of our souls will keep going, keep shaping, patiently continue working hands-on because he sees our potential until we are complete. So the bottom line is that Joseph was not a random or an arbitrary choice to be Jesus' earthly father. His clan was critical, being a descendant of David, the king of Israel, who came from Judah, who came from Abraham, who came from Adam. His character was critical because he was righteous and merciful and faithful and obedient. And his career was critical since he could see potential, work with his hands, develop patience, and create beauty and utility. And so we see once again, everything that God does has an important plan, and He is shaping us for His purposes in that very same way. If this podcast has been a blessing to you, please pass it along.